Welcome to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We're all new for 2023 and featuring a wide mix of variety shows from the golden age of radio to include comedy, music, drama, cop shows, and much more. For those of you who want non-stop crime buster and detective shows, you can now add 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to your podcast library. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Brand new for 2023 and growing fast. Meanwhile, 1001 Radio Days will be bringing back some memories along with some great entertainment every Wednesday and Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And now, our show. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes. Best of all long cigarettes brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to accident investigation, felony detail. In the early hours of the morning, a woman pedestrian is struck down by a hit-and-run driver. Your job, find him. If you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke king-size Fatima. Fatima is the long cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make Fatima extra mild. And that's why Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. That's why Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. So... Enjoy Fatima, the best of all long cigarettes. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles, traveled step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Monday, September 4th. It was hot in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of traffic division. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Captain Sullivan, Commander AID. My name's Friday. It was 12.45 a.m. when I got to the second floor at 123 South Figueroa Street. Accident investigation. The record bureau. Hi, Wanda. Hi. Sergeant Romero, come back with you. I got a phone message for him. Well, he's over at George's Street. He'll be back in a couple of minutes. You got time to take a 15-7? Sure. I got some additional information on a hit-and-run felony. All right. Pretty warm up here, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Coffee over there if you want it. No, no thanks. All right, officer's memo. Subject? Investigation of hit-run felony. DR number 467923. Three. Location, 7th and Carondelet Streets. It's C-A-R-O-N-D-E-L-E-T. Mm-hmm. September 3rd, 11.15 p.m. Division reporting, AID. Vision of occurrence? Central. Hmm? Central. Date and time occurred. September 3rd, 11.15 p.m. Location of occurrence, 7th and Carondelet. Just going to run long, Sergeant? Oh, page, page and a half. Mm. Go faster in shorthand. I can transcribe it later. All right. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is for Captain H.W. Sullivan, commanding AID. Mm-hmm. Sir... On the above date at 11.20 p.m., the undersigned officers went to the corner of 7th and Carondelet Streets in response to an ambulance follow-up traffic. Mm-hmm. On our arrival there... You got any matches, Wanda? Yeah, here you are. Okay, thanks. Uh, on our arrival there, we were met by 11T. We witnessed... Ambulance attendants placing an unconscious woman in an ambulance. Uh, she appeared to be critically injured. The victim was removed to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. All right. 
We then interviewed a man who identified himself as Chester J. Crawford, 540 Green Oak Drive. He stated that he was acquainted with the injured woman and that her name was Sheila Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N, seven eight three two and a half Seventh Street. Uh, Crawford told us that he was taking her home from a dance and they arrived at the intersection of 7th and Carondelet Streets at approximately 11.15 p.m. 11.15. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Crawford further stated that uh, while he and Sheila Gordon attempted to cross the intersection, an automobile headed west on 7th Street went through the red traffic light. Right. Did you read that last part, Meg? Uh... Attempted to cross the intersection, an automobile headed west on 7th Street, went through the red yeah, traffic light. Okay. Crawford told us that he jumped out of the path of the car and tried to pull Miss Gordon with him. He said that the car struck her down without slowing down, continued out 7th Street and disappeared. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, I'm sorry. And disappeared. Okay. Uh, Crawford stated the hit-and-run car was either a Dodge or a Plymouth, but it could have been either last year's model or this year's. Okay. He described the car... Just too fast for you? That's all right. He described the car as either light blue in color or bluish green. Said that he failed to get the entire license number, but that the last three numbers on the rear plate were either 804 or 304. 804 or 304. That's right. Okay. Uh, Crawford said he made an attempt to follow the hit-run car, but that he was unable to obtain transportation. Mm-hmm. He stated he then ran to a phone at the Corsev bar and... Gr- spell that? What? Corsev. Oh, C-O-R-S-E-V. Uh, that's at 7th and Carondelet, mm-hmm. and called the police. And the undersigned officers then obtained Crawford's full name, address, phone number, and proceeded to question residents in the neighborhood and right. weren't able to locate any other witnesses besides Crawford. Okay. Hi. How'd you do? Oh, so that's about all. Doctor says we won't be able to talk to her for at least a couple of days, maybe not at all. What's your chances? 50-50 if she's heavy on luck. Three broken ribs, brain concussion, internal injury. What Lee Jones have to say? Uh, is that all the report, Sergeant? Oh, yeah, Wanda. We'll have the rest for you a little later. Thank okay. you. I'll type this much up as soon as I can. Thanks. Sure. Uh, what did Lee Jones have to say? Nothing. He and Finkley went over the area for an hour. No broken glass from headlights at the P.I. No tire impressions worth anything. No physical evidence. Where does it leave us? With a half-dead girl and no suspects. What do you think, Joe? I don't know. It's a sour one. Any kickback on the teletype yet? No. That guy she was with, Crawford, not too much help. Looked a little nearsighted to me. You saw well enough to get out of the way of that car. You got the notes. Uh, how much to give us? Well, let me see. I got it here in the book. The uh, car was either a Dodge or a Plymouth, late model. Color, either light blue or blue-green. And the last three numbers on the license plate were 804 or 304. It was a big field to pick from. That's the only lead we own. You can call it that, yeah. Well, I guess we better talk to DMV, get the dope on all cars fitting that description that Crawford gave us. Huh? It's going to be a hard trip. At least 3,000 cars to track down. Probably closer to four. What do we do for help? We can ask the captain in the morning. I'll get him. Okay. Brackett Bureau Romero. Yeah, they... Yeah, we'll bring him right over. Yeah, bye. Lee Jones again. Yeah. Says he wants the clothes Sheila Gordon was wearing at the time of the accident. He figures when she got hit, her clothes must have left fabric marks on the front of the car. It might work. There's only one trouble. What's that? You can paint off fabric marks. Well, it's a long list. Let's take it from the top. Yeah. Find the car. Tuesday, September the 5th. We called Mark Benson at DMV and asked for full information on all vehicles fitting the general description of the hit-run car. We went back and talked to the only witness to the hit-and-run, the victim's boyfriend, Chester Crawford. He could add nothing to what he had already told us. There was no response to the local teletype and the all points that were sent out the night before. Garages, auto repair, and paint shops throughout the city were also alerted. Meantime, at General Hospital, the victim, Sheila Gordon, was still close to death. The search for the hit-run car went on. Two days passed. Thursday, September 7th, the information we requested from DMV was being checked out and compiled. Ben and I met with Captain Sullivan. That's the last of them, Skipper. All the cars in this area that fit the general description of the one we're after. You just get it? Yeah. How many cars did they list? 4,620. You more than you expected, eh? Yeah. No chance at all of narrowing it down? None that we can see, no. Terrific order. Well, we tried to figure it from every angle. Now we can do it two ways. 
Yeah. We keep the alert on for the hit-run car around the divisions, all the garages in town, the auto repair shops. In other words, we can wait it out. Maybe we'll get the guy, maybe not. Yeah. Or we can check out every one of the cars on this list and the registered owners. Well, the first way isn't going to do the job. We know that. 4,600 cars. How much help will you need? About 30, 40 men. How long? A couple of weeks, maybe more. All right. I think I can get them from Metro Division. When do you want to start? First thing tomorrow. Okay, I'll set it up. All right, Skipper. Thank you. Excuse me, Joe. Is the lady out here to see you? Okay, thanks. Uh, we'll check you in the morning, Skipper. All right. That's her over there. Thanks. My name's Friday, ma'am. This is Sergeant Romero. How do you do? I'm Dora Lytell, Sergeant. I'm Sheila Gordon's landlady, the girl in the accident. Yes, ma'am. Well, Mr. Crawford, he was the Sheila that night. He told me about you, and he said he thought you might be able to help. How do you mean? Well, it's a long story. You see, when Sheila Gordon first came to live at my rooming house, she was a good girl like the rest. Lately, well, I'm being sick now and all, I don't like to say it. Yeah? Well, frankly, last few months before the accident, Sheila just went bad, went bad completely. I don't think I follow you, ma'am. Oh, you know, carousing, all kinds of men, visitors, had a different man in her apartment every night. Well, we're investigating a hit-run case, ma'am. Sheila gets out of the hospital. We could talk about her when she's sick like this, but when she's all right, I don't want her back in my rooming house. I'm afraid that's none of our business either, ma'am. But if you could talk to Sheila, persuade her to move from my house, I don't want any wrangle with the rental board again. Couldn't you talk to her? I'm sorry there's nothing we can do, ma'am. You better talk to her yourself. It'll just be another row like the last time. Shameless woman. I don't want Sheila Gordon back in my house. I'll go to that hospital myself and tell her. She's a pretty sick girl. It's not my fault. Go right over to that hospital and tell her what I think of her. She's hurt pretty bad. So am I. She's hurt me. What's the difference? You haven't been run over by a car. Next morning, Sergeants Reed and McLennan, Ben and myself, joined the 40 men from Metropolitan Division who had started checking out the first of the 4,620 suspected cars. The detail was broken down into teams, and each team was handed a list containing the names of 100 registered car owners. It was a long job and a dull one. Dozens of people weren't at home when we called. We had to rig up a system of checkbacks for each one of these. Some cars had changed hands two and three times. That meant more checking. By the end of the second week, we'd gone through more than half of the 4,600 names on the list. By the end of the fourth week, we had less than 1,000 to go. At the general hospital, the victim, Sheila Gordon, was pronounced out of danger and recovering. We questioned her, but all she could tell us was that she thought the hit-and-run car was a dark color. The search went on. Monday, October 6th, Ben and I spent a 10-hour day checking a list of car owners south of town. It was 6.35 p.m. when we got back to the office. Hi. Hi, Reed. How'd you do today? Fair. Looks like we got one. What do you mean? The guy's name is Ralph Angelo. Yeah, let's see. Uh, 8690 Backerley Road. Checked them out early this morning. First call. What'd you get? One's a late model Plymouth, light blue. License number, there it is, uh, 17R2204. Wasn't home. Talked to his wife. Yeah? She said the car's been sitting home in the garage for the past month. Husband won't drive it. What's the story? Told her there was something wrong with it. He was going to trade it in. McLennan and I tried it. Car's in first class shape. What about the front end of the car? Pretty clean. One of the bars in the radiator grill slightly bent. Soft crease on the hood. Another one in the right fender. Did you bring the car in? Yeah. Crown has been working on it since lunch down the garage. Anything else? I uh, found a gas receipt in the glove compartment dated September 3rd, night of the accident. Where's Angelo now? Santa Barbara, business trip. Due home tonight about 10. Look, Len and I will pick him up then. See what he's got to say. That sounds good. How many possibilities does that make, Joe? Well, let me see. Out of 3,700 we've checked. About four good ones. I'll get that. Accident investigation, Friday. Hi, Joe. This is Lee Jones. Yeah, Lee. Just finished checking the Plymouth Reed and McLennan brought in. Did you find anything? Fabric prints on the front bumper on the hood. Oh? Indentation of soft object on hood and right front fender. Something else on that fender. What's that? Set of lip impressions. What's it mean? We found a car, only one job left. Yeah? Find a driver. You are listening to Dragnet. The Case History of a Police Investigation, presented in the public interest by Fatima Cigarettes. If you smoke a long cigarette, it will be in your interest to listen to a typical case history of a Fatima smoker. It's the case of attorney R. Michael Charters, member of the New York Bar, and this is his actual signed statement. Lawyers are always working against time. Long hours mean smoking more, and that's why I prefer extra mild Fatima's. I recommend them to anyone who likes a king-size cigarette. In my opinion, it's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. 
And more and more smokers are discovering this every day. Actual figures show Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. So enjoy Fatima yourself. The long cigarette, which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos, superbly blended to make it extra mild. You will prefer Fatima's much different, much better flavor. You will agree. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. The best of all long cigarettes. Monday, October 6, 10 p.m. Suspect Ralph Angelo was picked up at his home by investigating officers and brought downtown to the interrogation room. Sergeants Reed and McLennan, Ben and myself, questioned him for three hours. At 1.30 a.m., we took Angelo to the county jail where he was booked on suspicion of 501 vehicle code. Hit and run felony. The next morning, we obtained a warrant from the district attorney's office, and later that day, Ralph Angelo was arraigned in Municipal Court Division 7. The date was set for his preliminary hearing in Municipal Court. Sheila Gordon recovered from her injuries and was released from the general hospital. On October 10th, the preliminary hearing was held. Sheila Gordon was on the stand most of the morning. After the noon recess, I was called to testify. Raise your right hand. Somebody swear the testimony about the gift hanging in this case be the truth, whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. I do. State your name. Joe Friday. Be seated. State your name, please. Joe Friday. Your address? 4656 Collis Avenue. Your occupation? I'm a police officer in and for the city of Los Angeles. Are you one of the investigating officers assigned to this case? I am. Did you have a conversation with the defendant regarding this case? I did. Where? In the traffic division at 123 South Figueroa Street. Who's present? The defendant, Sergeants McLennan, Reed, Romero, and myself. Were the statements made by the defendant free and voluntary? They were. Were there any promise of immunity or reward of the use of force or violence to induce him to make the statement? No, there was not. You tell the court the extent of the conversation at that time. Well, first of all, I asked him if he was the registered owner of a 1948 Plymouth automobile, California license number 17Arthur 2804. He admitted that he was. And then I asked him if he was driving that car on the night of September 3rd. He said he was, but that he did not drive anywhere near the location of the hit-and-run felony that night at 7th and Carondelet Street. Did the defendant tell you where he drove his car that night? No, sir. You asked the defendant where he drove his car that night of September 3rd? Yes, I did. And what did he answer? Well, he said, it's none of your business. Did you persist in this line of question? Yes, I did. Defendant continued to refuse to give you the information? That's right. Uh, did the defendant state where he was on the night of September 3rd, between 10 p.m. and midnight? He refused to tell us. Did you advise the defendant at that time that his car had been impounded for investigation? That's right. Did you advise him that several points of incriminating evidence had been found in the car? Yes, we did. And what did he say in answer? Well, he said, you can't prove a thing. I wasn't near the place. You can't prove a thing. Uh, was that the extent of the conversation between you and the defendant? It was. Thank you, that's all. Counsel for defense? No questions, Your Honor. Uh, Leland Jones, come to stand. <coughs> Raise your right hand. Somebody swear the testimony about your pending this case be the truth, the whole truth, nothing but truth, so I'll be I do. State your name. Lee Jones. Please I'm a police officer in and for the city of Los Angeles. What particular detail are you assigned to? I'm a lieutenant in charge of the police crime laboratory. Well, uh, counsel for defense stipulate the witnesses a qualified forensic chemist? So stipulated. Mr. Jones, you are the commander in charge of the police department's scientific investigation division. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Jones, I will show you a photograph of an automobile. <coughs> California license number 1782804 to be marked People's Exhibit C. Have you ever seen this car before? I have. Where and when did you see it, please? I saw it at the traffic division garage, 123 South Figueroa Street, Monday, October 6th, this year. Did you make an examination of this car at that time? I did. 
What did the examination consist of? And uh, what were your findings? I made a systematic examination of the car using oblique lighting from a 500-watt photo-flood lamp and a bell-type reflector. I found the following <coughs> evidence, oh, excuse me. On the um, front bumper of the car, I found fabric marks consisting of 51 threads to the inch. I then took a perpendicular photograph of those marks with a copy camera. Here is a photograph of that portion of the bumper containing those marks. Well, I wish this photograph be marked People's Exhibit D for identification. You proceed, please, Mr. Jones. What else did you find in your examination of the defendant's car? I found fabric marks on the cowling of the car, extending back under the hood. These marks were made by fabric having a weave of 38 ribs to the inch. I have here a photograph of those marks. Thank you. I'm going to ask this photograph to mark People's Exhibit E. So, Mark, what else did you find in your examination of the car, Mr. Jones? I also noted an indentation in the right portion of the car's hood. It had the appearance of having been made by a soft object enclosed in fabric striking the car. Would a human body struck by a car make such an indentation? Yes, it would. Here's a photograph I took of that indentation on the defendant's car. <coughs> I'll ask this photograph of Mark as people's exhibit. And so, Mark... All right, continue, Mr. Jones. On the top of the right-hand fender of the car, I found a lip imprint in red lipstick. I lifted that print with a piece of cellophane tape, then placed the tape on a plain white card, which I have right here with me. Thank you. That's this card of Mark Peebles, Exhibit G. It's all Mark. Now, <clears throat> Mr. Jones, these pieces of evidence which you found on the defendant's car... Uh, <coughs> Did you compare them with other objects? I did. Will you please state what comparisons you made and your findings? Well, in the first place, I find that the uh, fabric marks in People's Exhibit C, taken from the bumper of the car, has the same count per inch as the stockings worn by the victim, Sheila Gordon. Secondly, I found the fabric marks shown in People's Exhibit D from the cowling hood of the car to be the same count per inch as the coat Worn by the defendant. I further made a comparison between the lip imprint found on the right fender, as shown in People's Exhibit G, and various exemplars of the victim's lips. She made the exemplars by placing her lips against heavy, stiff white paper. I have those exemplars with. That's David Marcus, People's Exhibit H. So, Mark, <laughs> now, may I ask, how did the lip imprint taken from the defendant's car? compare with these sample imprints made by the victim's lips? I found that there were 17 points of similarity between the two. These points of similarity consist of various uh, small lines or wrinkles which match identically, as uh, may be seen in the photographs. Jones, do you have an opinion as uh, <clears throat> to the origin of the lip imprint on the defendant's car as shown in People's Exhibit G? I do. What is that opinion? It's my opinion that the lip imprint on the defendant's car, as shown in Exhibit G, was made by the lips of the victim, Sheila Gordon. Now, Mr. Jones, we recognize, of course, that you're a qualified forensic chemist. But are you going to set yourself up as an expert on women's lips, too? <laughs> well, I've done some research in that department, too. <laughs> Mr. Jones, isn't it possible that any number of lip imprints made by different people would look exactly alike? No, it is not possible. There are no two things in the world exactly alike. There are no two sets of lip imprints alike. Well, anyone who's been around at all would know that. <laughs> That's all, Mr. Jones. Thank you. The Peter's case, Your Honor. Counsel for the defense? We will not offer any defense at this time, Your Honor. It appears to me that a felony has been committed and reasonable cause to believe that the defendant committed it. The defendant will be held to answer in superior court. Tuesday, November 4th. Suspect Ralph Angelo was arraigned in Superior Court, Department 88 and the date of his trial was set for December 1st. During the weeks preceding the set of the trial, we worked with Lee Jones and the district attorney's office preparing the case against Ralph Angelo. Two days before the trial opened, we had a visit from one of the men from the DA's office, a process server. Hi, Bert. Hi. We 
got trouble. Yeah? Sheila Gordon's disappeared. Wednesday, December 1st, Ralph Angelo's trial opened and Sheila Gordon was called to the stand. She failed to appear. We checked her few known friends in the city. They couldn't help. She had disappeared from her new address and taken everything with her. A bench warrant was issued by Superior Court for Sheila Gordon. The deputy district attorney succeeded in having the court grant a delay in order to find the missing girl, in this case, the complaining witness. Meantime, we got out a local broadcast and an APB. We got missing persons detail to help out in the search. Still no sign. Ralph Angelo's lawyer asked the court for a dismissal of the hit-and-run felony case because of Sheila Gordon's failure to appear. On December the 8th, the court ruled on the motion. Regarding the motion by the defense for dismissal of hit-and-run felony charges against Ralph C. Angelo, because of the prosecution's failure to produce the complaining witness to which Sheila R. Gordon... The court feels it would not serve the interests of justice to continue the case. Case is missed. The search for Sheila Gordon went on. Behind us, we had logged three solid months of police work, checking and running down more than 4,000 cars, hours of labor in the crime lab, more hours pounding the pavement, questioning people, checking, rechecking. Without a trial and a conviction, it didn't mean a thing. Three days before Christmas, we received information that the missing girl was living in a small town south of Los Angeles. Ben and I checked the address. What was the apartment number? 7A1. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Again. Yeah? Oh, you two. Come in. Come in. Sit down, make yourself at home. I'm sorry the place is such a mess. A little party earlier tonight. It's messed up. What about the trial? Why didn't she show? Come on, sit down. See, I'll tell you what. I'll freshen up a little, put on some makeup. What about the trial? I didn't have anything against the guy. He didn't mean to run me down. You, uh, you wouldn't happen to have a drink on you, would you? You know better than that. Why didn't you show up at the trial? I told you, I didn't have anything against the guy. What was it, a payoff? Look, why don't we go out and get something, then we can come back and have a party. How much did he give you? Fifty dollars. He was awful nice. You agreed not to show in court. I didn't have anything against the guy, that's all. Better get your coat. Why? That's what the court wants to know. You're taking me in. Why? Is there any law against forgiving? Yeah, when you get paid for it. story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On February 3rd, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 88, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. It's amazing how many long cigarette smokers are changing to Fatima. Here is the actual report. From coast to coast, king-size Fatima has more than doubled its smokers. Yes, more and more smokers every day are discovering that Fatima is the best of all long cigarettes. Long cigarette smokers find Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma. Long cigarette smokers find that Fatima is extra mild because it's the long cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make it extra mild. So enjoy extra mild Fatima, best of all long cigarettes. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Sheila Gordon was returned to Los Angeles and a new date was set for the trial of Ralph Angelo. Subsequently, he was tried and found guilty as charged. Angelo was also tried, along with Sheila Gordon, for compounding a felony. They were both convicted and received the sentence as prescribed by law. They are now serving their terms in the state penitentiary. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, the best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet from Los Angeles. 
The Halls of Ivy is especially pleasant listening tomorrow on NBC. to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to Bunko Fugitive Detail. You receive information an escaped criminal is hiding out in your city. He's dangerous. He may be armed. Your job, get him. If you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke king-size Fatima. Fatima is the long cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make Fatima extra mild. And that's why Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. That's why Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. So, enjoy Fatima, the best of all long cigarettes. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday, April 27th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working a night watch out of Bunko Fugitive Detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Blaine Steed, captain of Bunko Fugitive. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from communications, and it was 6.45 p.m. when I got to room 38, squad room. Hi. Hi. How about some dinner? Well, we got one to check out first. Here's the teletype. Skipper just brought it in. Thanks. From San Rafael, huh? Pick up and hold for this department, one Alfred Garvey. Wanted for suspicion, forgery, robbery. This man poses as a fingerprint expert from San Rafael Police Department. Here's his mug pulled from the record bureau. Mm-hmm. We're informed Garvey is registered at the Fair Deal Hotel, your city. Where's that? Over near First and Broadway. Yeah. Please advise us on his arrest, and officers will arrive with warrant signed Chief Police Frank Kelly, San Rafael, California. Shouldn't take long to pick him up. All right. We can eat later, I guess. Hi. Hi, Max. What are you doing around? I thought you took off on vacation. I am. Just came back to pick up some stuff from my locker. Soft touch? Sure. Uh, listen, the wife's got the car there. Are you guys going anywhere near North Main and Daly? Yeah, but we're going to leave right now. Oh, okay, let me grab my coat. All right. You live out near Highland Park, don't you, Mike? Yeah. Well, I took the kids shopping in the car this afternoon. Had to get them shoes for our vacation. Kids sure scuff up the toes in a hurry. All right, you all set? Let's go. Where are you going on your vacation? Big Bear. Going to stay the whole three weeks. The in-laws own a cabin up there. They even pay the utilities for us. It's pretty nice. Only one trouble. What's that? They're coming with us. Oh. Where'd you park? In the captain's stall. All right. I'll ride in the back. Okay. You two still working on that Valley case? No, we washed it up Monday. What's this one? Teletype from San Rafael. I want some guy picked up. Here's a mugshot. Who's Richards going to work with while he's gone, man? I don't know. What's the crowd up ahead? No, yeah, Friner's Convention. I forgot they were having a parade tonight. You better stay over to one side. I think we can get through all right. Watch those kids there. Yeah. There we go. That's the place up ahead, isn't it? Mm, fair deal, yeah. 
We gotta stop by his hotel a minute, Max. You wanna wait here? I'll come in. Uh, it's a big turnout for the parade, huh? Yeah, it's a big crowd. Fair deal hotel. Look at those rates. 35 cents a day, $2 a week. Yes, sir. Can I help you? Police officers, would you look at this picture, please? All right. Maybe registered as Alfred Garvey. Garvey? Sure, came in yesterday. The picture makes him look old. Is he in now? Well, let's see. Garvey, room 307. The key is gone. He must be in. Thank you. Yes, sir. Elevator's down there at the end of the hall. Okay. The elevator's in use. Let's take the stairs. I'll wait for you here. I want to see the parade. Okay, man. Never seen it to fail. It's uh, stairs. Every time my arch is hurt, we get a thief to check who lives upstairs. Just one more flight. Yeah. fast checkout. Came from downstairs. The lobby. Come on. Yep. Come on, hurry up. Yep. Hey, stop him! Stop that guy, police! The police! It's Maxwell. Max. Max, are you all right? He ran out the door. Blue suit. It was Garvey. He shot your friend. Call an ambulance. He ran out the door. He shot your friend. Come on, Ben. Call that ambulance, will you? Hey, you. Did you see a man come out of this hotel? Did you just see a man come out of this hotel? That one? I don't know. Huh? All right, Ben, you go that way. I'll check up this way. Yeah, right. What does it matter? Watch where you're going, huh? Did you see a man running up this way just now about my height, blue suit? Huh? No, I didn't see anybody. Did you see anybody? Hey! Yeah. Hey, boy! Yeah, you want a paper, mister? No, listen. Did you see a, a man running by here a minute ago in a blue suit? Oh, well, maybe. I didn't notice him. You want a paper? No. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, lady. Ben! Ben, over here! Yeah. Did you spot him? No, we're gonna need help. All right, come on. He's bleeding. I don't know what to do. Ben, get a hold of communications. Get some help out here. All right. The guy came down to the elevator. It was Garvey, your friend, trying to stop him. Garvey shot him right in the face. All right, stop yelling, huh? He was terrible. Now, look, he's bleeding. You better do something. Will you shut up? Max. Max, how is it? Chest hurts. Yeah, all right. Easy, huh? Garvey came out of the elevator fast with a gun. All right, take it easy now. Yo, I got communications there. Blocking off the area. It's fine. Watch that front door, will you? Keep those people out of here. Yeah, yeah. Chest. I'll be here in a minute, boy. Call the wife, Eleanor. Ambulance is here. Yeah. He looks bad. Well, he's not going to get any worse. Hmm? He's dead. name on the personnel report said John Warren Maxwell, Sergeant, Los Angeles Police Department, badge number 10377. Nearest living relative, wife, Eleanor Jean Maxwell. Dependents, John Maxwell, Jr., six years. Deborah Lee Maxwell, two years. Death and line of duty, April 27th, 7.15 p.m. John Maxwell's body was removed from Georgia Street to the county morgue. At 7.45, a special detail of men from Homicide and Bunko Fugitive were on the scene to aid in the investigation of the killing. The neighborhood where the Fairdale Hotel was located was covered for a half mile around. By 9 o'clock, the parade was over and the area was cleared. We had a single lead to work with. In checking out the different taxi cab stands in the neighborhood, we found out that three separate fares had been picked up within two blocks of the hotel four minutes after the shooting. Ben and I went to the offices of the taxi cab company. The cabs in question were called in and the way bills were checked. The times of the three different trips were listed, and so was the address of each destination. We copied down the addresses and then interviewed the drivers. We're going to give each one of you half a dozen fixtures. like to see if you can identify any of them as passengers you picked up tonight near the Fair Deal Hotel. All right, here you go. There you are. Four, five, six. Check them carefully, please. Here are yours right here. Take a good look at each one of them. Huh? Okay, great. Now, fellas, take your time. Look them all over real good before you make up your minds. No, no, no. 
Yeah, here's the one, Sergeant. No mistake. Let me see. Um, Where'd you pick up this man? About a block from the hotel. I drove him to a place on 14th Street. Same address on the way, Bill. Ben? Yeah? Alfred Garvey. Ben and I, along with Ricketts and Chandler from Homicide, drove out to the 14th Street address. Another small transient hotel. The clerk on duty identified Garvey from his mugshot. He said the suspect had called at the hotel at about 7.45 that night and asked to see one of the guests, uh, Mrs. Lorraine Thomas. The clerk said he told Garvey Mrs. Thomas was out, that she hadn't been there for four days. Ricketts and Chandler went on stakeout in the lobby of the hotel, and Ben and I went up to the second floor to stake out Mrs. Thomas's room. Friday, 11.25 a.m. Lorraine Thomas returned to the hotel and was taken into custody. We took her to homicide and questioned her for more than an hour. She admitted that she was acquainted with Garvey, but that's all. One o'clock. We went to Clifton's cafeteria for lunch. Here, you take this tray. Thanks. Silverware? Mm-hmm. You were the first one he ran to after the shooting. Well, Garvey doesn't have many friends in Los Angeles. Maybe that's why he looked me up. I'll have the mixed green salad, too. Kind of worked as Garvey do, do you know? He told me he was in the Merchant Marines. Coleslaw. Some of that potato salad, please. Do you know what he does in the Merchant Marine? He told me a steward. French dressing. Do you know any of his friends in town? No, I don't. Rye bread. Can I have an extra butter, please? Oh, French roll. What kind do you want, Ben? Yeah, give me some of those biscuits. Uh, thank you. Does Garvey usually stay at the Fairdeal Hotel when he's in town? I don't know. That split pea soup sure looks good, and. We told you that the police up north were looking for him. Yeah, I know you did. Like I told you, I've been out with him a few times. That's all I know about him. He must have introduced you to some of his friends. I'll have the prime ribs there. Rare. That piece there. How about it? Did you ever meet any of his friends? Yeah, one or two. No, no gravy. Meatloaf. Brown gravy. Remember any of the names of his friends? I just met him, that's all. I don't remember. Let me have a roast turkey. Go kind of heavy on that dressing, will you? Did you ever go out with any of them? No. Why do you think Garvey went to your hotel after the shooting? I don't know. Maybe he figured you'd hide him. I don't know why he should. He killed a man and headed straight for your place. Doesn't make you look too good. I can't help that. I'd like some of those string beans, please. Miss Thomas, you know it's going to go hard on you if you're holding back information on Garvey. I'm not. Why don't you take some of that summer squash, Joe? Good for you. I can't eat that much. When did you first meet Garvey? About three years ago, up in St. Helena. You might as well keep your nose clean. How do you mean? We're going to reach you, Miss Thomas. You might as well tell us all you know. Look, if Garvey's killing people, I don't want to have any more to do with him. We do. Now, where is he? I told you, I don't know. Squash, please. You said you had a little boy, didn't you, Miss Thomas? Do we have to talk about it now? I thought we were going to have lunch. How old's your little boy? He's seven years old. Where is he now? He's in school up in San Francisco. Isn't his line going awful slow? It's lunchtime. You know that cop that Garvey killed last year? Mashed potatoes, country gravy. Did you hear what I said? Yes, I know he killed a cop. He had a little boy, too. There's nothing I can do. No potatoes, thanks. Yeah, there's something you can do, Miss Thomas. You can tell us where Garvey is. If I knew, I'd tell you. French fries, please. You're kidding us, Miss Thomas, but we're not going to kid you. You know a lot more about this than you're telling us. Maybe I do, but I'm scared. Who are you afraid of? Look, why can't you count me out of this? I don't want any part of it. You're in all the way. The only way you're going to get out is to tell us what you know. He'll kill me. Suppose something happens to me, nobody's going to worry about my kid. You don't have to worry. He's not going to find out. Uh, No, no dessert, please. They'll both kill me. Both? Who's the other one? What's the use? Trouble, no matter what you try to do, nothing but trouble. Garvey's working with somebody, is that it? His name's Jack Fleming. Yeah? They made me promise to cover for him. Give him a place to hide out whenever the heat was on. Then you know where they are. No, I don't, and that's the truth. Why do they need a place to hide out? You said Garvey killed a cop. What about Fleming? Hey, Joe, you better move along. Oh, I'm sorry. What about Fleming? We're going to pull some jobs. All right, we can skip the dessert. Come on. I'll take a check for all of them. Let's go. 
What kind of jobs? Where? Hold up. Tomorrow night. Three Kings Liquor Store out in Wilshire. Let's sit down. They're both the same, Garvey and Flynn. They can't hold a gun without using it. Here's the table. You dropped your tray. I'll get you some more. Don't bother. I'm not hungry anymore. You are listening to Dragnet, the case history of a police investigation, presented in the public interest by Fatima Cigarettes. If you smoke a long cigarette, it will be in your interest to listen to a typical case history of a Fatima smoker. It's the case of Lee Silver, general assignment reporter on one of New York's greatest newspapers. This is his actual signed statement. When you have to meet a news deadline, you work at a fast pace, smoke at a fast pace. That's why I smoke Fatima. They're extra mild. In my opinion, it's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. And more and more smokers are discovering this every day. Actual figures show Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. So enjoy Fatima yourself. The long cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make it extra mild. You will prefer Fatima's much different, much better flavor. You will agree. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Saturday, April 29th. Last rites were held for Sergeant John Maxwell, and he was buried at Holy Cross Cemetery. A guard of honor from the police department was present, along with most of the men Maxwell had worked with in Bunko Fugitive Detail. The chief of detectives delivered a short eulogy, and then one of the men from the department band sounded taps over the grave. We got back to the office at noon, checked in at the record bureau. A photocopy room had taken negatives of Garvey's and Fleming's coming out mugs and made duplicates that were distributed to all officers. The stakeouts continued at the Fair Deal in the 14th Street Hotel where Lorraine Thomas was staying. She was put under protective custody. Ben and I, Ricketts and Chandler, went on stakeout at the Three Kings Liquor Store on Wilshire Boulevard. It was a large, modern place, and it did a volume business, especially on Saturday night. Ricketts and Chandler covered the store from the outside. Ben and I were stationed in the supply room at the rear of the place, where we had the main counter and most of the store in full view. We set up a prearranged signal with the clerk on duty, and... If and when Garvey and Fleming showed up, the clerk was to accidentally knock an empty bottle off the counter. We waited until midnight. Nothing happened. It's the first customer in half an hour. It's kind of slow. Yeah. Wait a minute. Here comes another one. No sale. It's a woman. The clerk sure got the jitters. Well, I'll put in with him. could go for a hamburger. Why didn't you eat dinner? I wasn't very hungry then. Well, I've got an almond bar you want. Yeah, thanks. Wait a minute. Another customer. Yeah, man. Can't see his face too well with that hat on, can you? That's Fleming. Come on. Police officers, get your hands up. Watch it, Joe. You're hitting. He's going out the front. Come on. Ricketts and Chandler stopped him. Yeah, he's down. Watch him. Get the gun. Yeah. Yeah, here, here it is. That's Fleming, all right. Ricketts, call an ambulance. What's the score? Yeah, looks like one in the shoulder and legs, too. What about Garvey? I don't know. What do you think? Fleming stopped all the slugs. Yeah. Let's ask him. suspect was treated at Georgia Street Receiving Hospital and then booked into the prison ward at the General Hospital. At 11 a.m. the next day, we questioned him, but he refused to admit that he even knew Alfred Garvey. We re-questioned Fleming for the next three days with no results. The stakeouts continued. The search went on. There was no response to our APB. Garvey was still at large. As far as we were concerned, there was only one way to get directly to Garvey, and that was through Fleming. We called on Lorraine Thomas again and asked her that if she'd try to get some information on Fleming, try to get him to talk and to tell her where Garvey was. I'm not even sure if he knows where Garvey's hiding. He must have a good idea. 
Even if he has, he's not going to tell me. He wouldn't trust me that far. He'll go further with you and he will with us. He won't even give us his name. I'm afraid it's up to you, Miss Thomas. Why can't you let me out of this? Hey, look, figure it this way. You knew about Fleming and Garvey. You knew they were in town. You knew what they were up to. You didn't break your back to save that dead cop's life. Garvey shot him. I did You knew he was a killer. You knew he had a gun. What do you want me to do? Get close to Fleming. Visit him every day till he talks. But he doesn't trust me. I told you. Then get him to trust you, will you? Do favors for him. He wants to contact friends to raise money for a lawyer. Help him do that. Run errands. Do anything for him within reason. Suppose he finds out about the holdup. That I told you about it. He's got a long stretch ahead of him. He won't bother you. They'll kill me if they find out. They wouldn't wait a minute. They won't find out. All right. Won't be my fault. Al did the shooting. He killed the cop. Let him square it up. He'll square it with the court. There's only one trouble. Yeah. Maxwell's wife and kids. How does Al square it with them? On the morning of May 8th, suspect Jack Fleming was removed from his private room and wheeled down to the x-ray lab on the pretext of treatment. While he was absent, a dictaphone was placed in his room by a sound crew from the crime lab. Fleming was then returned. That afternoon, while Ben and I listened in on earphones in the next room, Lorraine Thomas paid her first visit to Fleming. We had briefed her on how to proceed in getting the suspect to talk, in particular to reveal Garvey's hideout. It was a slow process. For the next 15 days, between the hours of 2 and 4 in the afternoon, Mrs. Thomas visited Fleming while Ben and I monitored their conversation in the adjoining room. For 15 days, despite all her shows of confidence, Fleming refused to confide. He was sullen and close-mouthed. Some afternoons, he would hardly speak to her. On the 16th day, his mood seemed to be improving. Let me fix that pillow for you, Jack. Is that better? Yeah. That's good. Thanks. I, uh, I got in touch with Dave and Johnny like you asked me to. Huh? What did they say? Well, they said they could get you the money for the lawyer the day after tomorrow. And Dave said he might be over to see you tonight. Yeah. That's fine. Once I get a lawyer, I'll stop worrying. I stopped by Danelli's place, too. Pop Royce wasn't there. I'm going back tomorrow to see him. He ought to be able to help. You've been okay, Larry. I won't forget it. Oh, it's what friends are for. Jim, sure sorry you had to get it this way. Forget it. I can give it back where it came from. Say, I brought you some new magazines, a couple of candy bars. Well... Put them over here near the bed, will you? Yeah, sure. Let me get them for you. There, Jack. See, I'll put them right here on this table. I'll bring you some more tomorrow. That's fine. You're going to try and see Pop Royce again tomorrow? Yeah, they told me he'd be in around noon for sure. If I don't see him then, I'll keep trying until I do. Yeah, that's it. Oh, listen. There's something else. Sure, Jack. Come here. I don't want to talk loud. The cops might have bunked this room. Yeah. All right. A little closer. Okay. Tonight, I want you to go to George's joint, the Blue Moon, down on South Flower. And yeah. And ask for George at the bar. He's usually around from 11 on. Uh-huh. Uh, tell George you've seen me. He'll know it. Then tell him to take you to Al. To take me to Al? Yeah, Al Garvey. George knows the place. Yeah. Okay, Jack. And keep your mouth shut. Don't talk to anybody but George. He knows the place. All right, Jack. It'll help you out. Well, yeah. It's a long wait. Get paid. Let's go. 10.45 p.m. A detail of three cars followed Lorraine Thomas to the Blue Moon Tavern on South Flower Street. We parked down the block and watched her go in. At 15 minutes past 11, she came out with a small fat man in a dark blue suit. They got in a tan-colored coupe and drove south. The cruiser cars, using three-way radio, tailed the coupe alternately out through the Echo Park area and then back to the starting point at the Blue Moon Tavern. Lorraine Thomas went back into the bar with a man and 20 minutes later came out, caught a taxi and took it to her hotel on 14th Street. We drove back to the office. It was five minutes past 1 a.m. That's it. I get it. Monko Fugitive, Friday. Lorraine Thomas, Sergeant. He showed me the place George did. Where? We drove past it. 1032 Alamo, apartment three. Is Garvey there now? No. 
George said he's supposed to be there tomorrow in the afternoon, 5 o'clock. George said I'll have to go alone. Are they watching the place? I think so. Garvey's staying with another man. They got guns. You know where Garvey is now? George wouldn't tell me. We can't afford to tip our hand. How do we know Garvey will be there at 5 o'clock tomorrow? That's just it. We don't. May 9th, 3 p.m. An immediate stakeout was placed at the suspected hideout. A detail of 20 plainclothesmen began filtering into the neighborhood in the vicinity of 1032 Alamo Street. The three-story apartment house at that address was checked thoroughly and then covered on all sides. Apartment 3 on the first floor was checked out, too. It was registered to a Thomas King, whom the manager identified as Alfred Garvey from his mugshot. To avoid pedestrian casualties, we toured the immediate vicinity between 3 and 4.30 that afternoon, advising residents and storekeepers to clear the street and stay inside. At 4.35 p.m., the men in the detail took up their assigned positions. We waited. Hold that light, will you, Jim? Yeah. Hmm. Thanks. Awful lot of trouble for that punk Garvey. Be more trouble if he doesn't show. No such left. Hmm? Tan coupe coming down the street behind us. Same one we tailed last night. A girl driving. There's two guys with him. Well, Garvey's one of them. They're pulling up. Ready? Oh, wait a minute. All right, let's go. Police officers, hold it right there. Al, cops! Get out. They're behind the car. Throw them in, Garvey. You haven't got a chance. There. Both of them. Come on. Both dead. Garvey. The other guy. Mm. Rotten case. Rotten business. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed. To protect the innocent. On August 2nd, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 93, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. It's amazing how many long cigarette smokers are changing to Fatima. Here is the actual report. From coast to coast, king-size Fatima has more than doubled its smokers. Yes, more and more smokers every day are discovering that Fatima is the best of all long cigarettes. Long cigarette smokers find Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma. Long cigarette smokers find that Fatima is extra mild because it's the long cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make it extra mild. So enjoy extra mild Fatima. Best of all long cigarettes. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Jack Fleming, the only survivor of the holdup gang, was found guilty of several counts of armed robbery. Garvey's accomplices who aided him in hiding out were tried and convicted of being accessories. They are serving prison terms as prescribed by law. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, the best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet from Los Angeles. The Halls of Ivy is pleasant listening tomorrow on NBC. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Days, your home for the best of Golden Age Radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, 
please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers.